0: Okay, are you ready for episode number six of season two? We have a really fun workshop style conversation with Michelle Schrader of Michelle Schrader Media and Marketing Company to help improve our web presence and ultimately to help build our customer base. Michelle and her husband Danny farm in the beautiful state of New York with their family. We dive headfirst into their farming journey as well as how Michelle discovered her genius to not only help the family's USDA meat processing facility but also to help serve others in agriculture by boosting agri-sales through their website layouts. In addition to all the tips and how-to's shared during her episode, Michelle has also generously shared her website template workbook PDF with us. You'll find that link below in the show notes. It'll automatically take you to her PDF. If you are already a subscriber to the Ranching Burnett email list, you're gonna receive that automatically in your inbox. So after you've tuned into Michelle's episode, be sure to give her a follow on Instagram at Michelle L.A. Schrader. And make sure you send her DM, comment on her latest post, tell her thank you for all of the great information she shared today. This is some really valuable information here, some great resources that she's taken the time to put together for all of the Ranching Burnett listeners. And I'm really excited for you guys to tune into this one and to hear it. You can also subscribe to her email list on her website at MichelleShrader.com for even more great content and resources to help boost your agri sales. So let's head on into episode number six and let's hear Michelle's story. Welcome to the Ranching Brunette Podcast. I am your host, Logan Robinson. And this is the podcast for aspiring first-generation ranchers by an aspiring first-generation rancher with one goal in mind, to get America ranching again. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you on the Ranching Burnett podcast.
1: Thank you, Logan. I'm so excited for this opportunity, and I appreciate what you're doing so much.
0: Thank you so much. That means the world to me. Yeah. This is so much fun to have folks on just to hear everybody's journey and what they're doing in agriculture. So I would love to hear your agriculture
1: journey. Will you walk us through your family story to where you are today with Schrader Farms? Sure. So I grew up pretty much immersed in agriculture. My mom's parents actually have a goat dairy, and my stepdad's parents also have a dairy. So It was our culture and my parents took off farm jobs and decided not to take over the farm, but it was still like our entire community and very much a part of our lives. So I went to work in a vet office and then I worked at a dairy in high school. And when it was time to go to college, it was not surprising at all when I wanted to study agriculture. So in the fall of 2012, I started at SUNY Cobaskill and my first day, my very first class, i sat in the only empty seat which was the guy that would become my husband, which was Danny. Oh, i love that. Yeah. <laughs> so we became really fast friends and we got married 2 years after we met. It was it was kind of crazy. We were like it was right after graduation and we were we had no money. We lived in a used like neon blue double wide or trailer it was a trailer next to his parents beef barn <laughs> but it was great so i actually moved to the finger lakes region which is two hours west of where i grew up while we were dating and i started helping out on his parents farm so Danny is a third generation farmer he helps his dad and his brother they farm like just under a thousand acres of corn and soybeans and hay and wheat and rye and whatever else they feel like growing and it's a really small farm for the area we live in so they also raise cows and have a usda meat market on the side which pretty much keeps us busy and i think it was 30 30 years ago danny's dad keith started raising beef and he loved the beef cows and the herd just kept growing and growing And it got to a point where they couldn't find a place to get them processed. So he came home one day. He's like this super visionary guy. He (laughs) always has ideas. And he came home and he was like, guys, we're building a meat shop. So in August of 2012, that was right around the time that Danny and I met. That's when the meat shop opened. And I remember going home with Danny on the weekends to visit his family and get to know them better. And his parents like immediately put me to work at the meat shop. <laughs> like it's a, it's a farm family. So if there's a free set of hands, everybody has to go to work. So I started out helping with the wrapping and I did some cutting, but I realized pretty quickly that I did not want to cut meat or wrap meat for the rest of my life. And it was, it was not <laughs> for me, but I love going in and helping now if they need it. There was a need for sales and like a website and stuff. They didn't have that when they first started. And that suited my personality much better. Danny picks on me because I have this notebook that I carry around and I'm like constantly writing down all of the ideas that are bombarding my brain. And I'm like, oh, we could do this, we could do this. I thrive much better in the sales and marketing role than I did wrapping me.
0: Oh, that's so fun. I love how diversified your family is in agriculture. From raising beef to growing crops, like you're talking about, and then running the USDA meat processing facility, I would love to hear your perspective on each and the biggest obstacles you and your husband have had to overcome in your ag journey, working with your family on all these different aspects
1: and areas. Yeah, so... Our family actually gets along like really, really well. It's probably super rare. There's four generations of Schraders, and we all live within a mile of each other. Wow! So there's actually a huge field, and most of us live on the border of the field. So last week, I was making spare ribs with my my two boys, and we ran out of ketchup for barbecue sauce. And we just hopped on the four wheeler and it's like we make a a trek around the outside of the field until we find someone with ketchup. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. And actually our church and the meat shop is on the block too. But I think part of wanting to preserve our relationships with our family because they are our family, but they're really like our closest friends too. It was really important to Danny and I that we do get along really well. So that kind of led us to want to grow our own businesses on the side. And our family is so good at talking and working things out, but you still have to consider everybody has their own values. And as the siblings got married, the different families have different long-term goals. And that led Danny and I to start building our own assets of like land and equipment on the side. I think Danny will always be a crop farmer with his brother, Aaron, in some capacity, I think. They'll always raise corn and beans. But we really wanted our own land and I think our own equipment so that we had control, maybe. And I think Aaron will do the same thing and they'll probably borrow each other's equipment and they'll use each other for labor and they'll always be great friends. But it'll give us each the opportunity to stay friends and grow in the way that we want to grow. And Danny and I have two, almost three boys. So we wanted our own stuff to pass down to our our own boys. So Danny, I think will always crop farm. I would really love to grow our own herd of cows for our boys. It's been hard finding land and a facility for us to do that. But I think part of it is because my parents were vet techs and my grandpa was super passionate about animal health when I was growing up. So that instilled in me a pretty high standard for caring for livestock. And so we actually recently sold most of our personal herd just because I didn't feel like we were meeting that standard that I'd set for ourselves. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And that just further solidified it in my mind that we need to be really good stewards of our cows. And if we can't do that, to the level that we think we should, then we're, we just need to wait a little bit. We have a couple cows left, but uh, we would like to grow grow our own herd eventually. I think we'll get there. It's just not the best time right now. Um, as far as the meat shop goes, um, Danny and I do not want to operate the meat shop in the long term. <laughs> there is, <laughs> we love helping out, and we're always game game to help out, but. There's a lot of government regulation.
0: Oh, I can imagine.
1: And it is expensive to run. Like the overhead and labor costs alone are crazy. It's not for us. So, Danny's sisters actually run it now and they do a really, really great job. Danny and I are happy to raise crops and cows and we're happy to plug in and help at the meat shop when it's needed. But then, after everything is processed, we like to pick up again and sell it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love your perspective on that. And that Proverbs verse is one of my favorites. And I just love your faith behind that and your outlook. And that's what a great way to approach that. And I admire that greatly. That was fantastic. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we steward our stuff well, I think it gets multiplied. And if you can't steward it to the point where you think you should be, then it might be best just to let someone else steward it better than you can. And that's kind of where we're at right now. I
0: love your thought process behind that and the the wisdom behind it. It's, that's incredible outlook. And I absolutely appreciate and admire that. And like you said, down the road, you know, you'll be able to start hang on to a few cows and be able to start growing your herd, yeah. you know, and getting your boys involved with that as they grow. And I love that perspective on it. And I think that's fantastic because a big part for me as a first generation rancher is I try really hard to grow slow, slow and steady, right? Take the hustle and the rush out of it and build where you can. That is so important. Yeah, as as you have the time and the resources to be able to do so to the standards that you want to do. Yeah. And that's kind of my big motto. It's like don't be in a hurry to look like you've got it all together, to look like these great, you know, multi-generational ranches and operations. You may get there someday. It might take you 30 years. Mm-hmm but it's all in the journey, right? Just building slowly as you can and that proverbs verse, I love that you brought that up because that's one of my favorites that I reflect on quite often to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think if you keep if you keep working hard and you keep doing a really good job with the resources you have now, you will get there and it might take longer, but I honestly think the journey will be more enjoyable anyway. And it's in these early growth stages, this is this is a really exciting time too. Yeah. So if you like, I think we try to really enjoy it and appreciate where we are, even if it's not where we want to be like 10 years down the road. I think sometimes Danny and I say, we will be content if we never have more than what we have now, yeah. but we're going to keep working hard and hope that we get get there and be thankful along the way. Absolutely. I love your perspective on that as well.
0: You know, it's it's all in the day to day and I love how you guys are saying we're happy with where we're at, but we're gonna keep striving. And that's a beautiful place to operate from. It it's not like
1: it's overnight though. Yeah, exactly. It's a we long got, haul. Kind of got into it a little it was a lesson that came out of a lesson that we
0: <laughs> Yeah, isn't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michelle, I am so curious to hear about farming in the beautiful state of New York. I think you're our first person to be on in agriculture that's operating out of New York. Will you walk us through a year of what your farm looks like and the unique obstacles and advantages to farming in New York?
1: Sure. So I grew up in eastern New York and farming in eastern New York is totally different than farming in the Finger Lakes where my husband lives. So there were a lot of small dairies in eastern New York and most of the crops raised out there are just for feeding livestock and then when i met my husband i'm only two hours west of where i grew up but it's so much flatter and a lot of the crops raised out here are raised by bigger farms. i think there's a lot of them are still sold for livestock but the dairies are bigger the crop farms are bigger it's like everything just got bigger when you moved west so new york is actually it's beautiful And it's actually a pretty awesome place to live because I was reading that there's no like major natural disasters that happen in New York. So our biggest obstacle is a short growing season because we have winter and that's something you can manage. We also have a lot of Amish and Mennonite families. So I think it can be more expensive farming here because Amish and Mennonite families have like generations of family wealth. And that wealth helps them cover the cost of farming and cover the cost of growth and things like that. So that and we are landlocked between Seneca and Cayuga Lake. So that has driven up the cost of land just because it's really hard to expand, but it's beautiful here. And I think we're really lucky to live in a place that's so, so beautiful. And we don't have to worry about like fires or hurricanes or tornadoes or anything like that. Like Our biggest obstacle is snow, which we can manage.
0: That's so interesting to me. Yeah. So how much snow do you guys typically
1: get in a winter where you're at? This winter was like nothing. It was really mild. Wow. There was the year we got married. It was crazy. We got so much snow. I remember they went through and they had to push the snow banks back so that they had enough room to make another snowbank alongside the road. And we were actually, we got married in February. It was the week before our wedding. And my sister-in-law was driving us to the floors to pick up flowers and the the snowbanks were like above her car and the wind kept blowing snow across her car. And every time she would scream and swerve. And I was like, I'm not going to make it to my wedding. It's not going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> And so it just some years we don't get much snow at all and other years it's it's a little there's quite a bit.
0: That's interesting to me. And we have hooterite colonies up here that are big time into Mm -hmm. our agriculture industries in Montana. So it's interesting to hear that in there because a lot of the farmers markets around here, you know, you'll show up and there'll be a lot of hooterites there. And gosh, they got amazing produce, amazing animal products. And it's neat to see that. But like you said, there's that, you know, generational wealth there if folks have just been doing it since the beginning
1: of their time here you know and it's impressive to see that yeah there's actually a old army depot it's behind our farm and it's like ten thousand acres or something like that but the government took it from farmers sometime in the 1900s and turned it into the army depot but there are a lot of family farms that lost their their farm during that time and it went up for sale a couple years ago and some of the families had kind of talked about wanting it back but farmland's pretty expensive around here and a lot of these Amish and Mennonites were able to pool money together from just having generations of family wealth and they were able to buy it and it was wow it was crazy how how much land went so fast uh, i think they ended up paying less than $1000 an acre for it just because wow. they were able to pay such a large sum of money for it
0: Oh, that's crazy. How nice to have access to that kind of resource to be able to purchase that. Um, But what an interesting piece of history there for that area. Yeah,
1: they're actually not allowed to grow food products on it. Oh, really? I wonder why. Do you know why that is? I think because it was used for army purposes. So they don't know if there was what kind of army chemicals or whatever that were used or are being stored there. So, okay. We actually have white deer in our area too. When they say it's because of the, because of whatever is in the depot. Anyway, fun fact from the Finger Lakes.
0: (laughs) That is interesting. I remember reading an article on that, on the white deer over there, uh, which is fascinating to me. So very interesting stuff. Oh, I wonder what they're going to end up doing
1: with it then. They have some deer tours and stuff like that, and they are raising cows on it beef cows on it so I'm not really sure okay what's going on with that
0: oh what a fun fact so I know people listening in are they're thinking New York I'm I grew up in Nevada and everybody's like oh Las Vegas and it's like no, no. there's so much more to the state yeah. than Las Vegas yeah so in New York for perspective for people listening in, I know everybody's like but what about New York City like that's all anybody can think about is the big apple when they hear that So, just for perspective, how far away is New York City from where you guys
1: are at in the Finger Lakes area? I think it's between five and six hours. I've actually never really been to New York City. Oh, interesting. It's (laughs) like a completely different world. I bet. Yeah. New York City and upstate New York, where we are, they're like not even the same state. (laughs) It's very different. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember calling once uh, when I was. First got my license and I was getting car insurance and I told the agent that I lived in New York and he said, Well, you're gonna want collision on your car in case you hit a pedestrian and I was like, <laughs> No, I will hit a cow or a deer before I hit a person. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Yeah, my point is exactly.
0: People yeah. just they just think of that. Automatically they go to New York City. <laughs> I think that's interesting though. You haven't been, you haven't really been into New York city. Cause like for us, when we were in Nevada for a bit, we never went to Las Vegas. I mean, it was like, yeah, gosh, yeah. like 10 hours away. I think it was a long drive to get down to Las Vegas from where we were. And uh, it's just funny. Cause that's where everybody mm-hmm. automatically assumes when they hear one of yeah. these states and they're like, Oh, okay.
1: Big tourist area. And you're like, no, if I went to Las Vegas or wherever, I would be completely lost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There'd be too many people. If I went to New York city, I would be <laughs> I could not survive.
0: <laughs> oh, it'd be culture shock. I think I would just be like a deer in the headlights, just stunned with the amount of people. And it's funny to me that, you know, New York, there is quite a bit of agriculture there. And a lot of people do not realize that. So I'm really excited to be hearing about this and where you guys are at in the Finger Lakes area, because it's fascinating to me. And, you know, it's neat hearing each state's agriculture processes and what they're known for or where they thrive at. And so thank you for sharing all that. That was fantastic. Good. All right, Michelle. So what's impressive to me is how you found another way to serve agribusiness through helping market Schrader Farms and finding a niche to fill in the industry. Will you share with us this part of your story and what Michelle Schrader Media and Marketing Company is all about?
1: Yeah, I would love to. So when I first started at the meat market, like I said, the processing stuff wasn't for me. And I ended up making our first website, but we outgrew it pretty quickly and realized we needed something maybe more professionally built i would say so we invested like thousands of dollars and talked to at least three different web designers just trying to find a website that would serve our customers really well and we wanted a website that would convert traffic to sales so i just remember building a website and saying to Danny, why can't someone build us a website that looks like this? And he was like, because you just did. (laughs) Why don't you just build the website for us? And I was like, it took me a while to buy into it. But then I think I had an aha moment and I was like, oh, right. Uh, Maybe I should just do it. So Danny and I ended up investing in a mentor and a sales coach. And I took a course on web design and started reading books on sales. And I used all of that information to tweak our website into what it is now. So when we first launched it, I feel so awkward admitting this, but the traffic went up. Um, We looked at it, it was like 3,600%. The traffic had gone up and the sales, like we couldn't keep up with them. And we were like, oh, maybe this formula works really well. So, And I had just stored up so much knowledge in my head Not that I know everything, because I I don't like. There's still so so much to learn. But I knew that there was someone out there who probably wanted or needed the information that I had spent all this time gathering, and I just felt that I had an obligation to share it with people. And I love agriculture, and I really love seeing families get to work together and produce a food product, and then have the opportunity to sell it to people and make a living off of that. So if I had knowledge on how they could sell more of their product and be able to do that, then it seems like I have an obligation to share that with people. So I started hosting little workshops through the meat shop and kind of helping farmers. And then recently I launched a blog and So I'll be putting articles and posting things on the blog once a week. And I'm also creating a course so that farmers will have like a click by click walkthrough on exactly how to build a website that converts traffic to sales. And I one thing I think a misconception is a lot of people think selling or salesmen or just the topic of sales in general is like slimy and yucky or like sales is manipulative. Right. And I really like I get it because I think I used to think that way, but I don't think that it has to be. So the mantra that I tell myself and the mindset that I wanna have is selling our food products is helping and serving people as farmers and people in ag business. We are good-hearted people who create great products, and it's an absolute honor to be able to help people by sharing the products we create with them. People are always going to need food, and I'm so proud of the ag community for continuing to create and grow foods and make products that really do help people. So that's kind of what how uh, Michelle Schrader Media started. And I'm really looking forward to other opportunities to help farm and agribusinesses.
0: I love that, Michelle, because you had a need and you weren't finding somebody to fulfill your need for your own website and marketing. And so you just went for it and built your own and look what it's grown into. I'm very impressed by this. And you found a way to serve others that, you know, works with your talents and your gifts that you have and the things that you enjoy. And I love your desire to continuously learn and serve others with that. And it's very impressive to me. And I love hearing these kind of stories of how folks found kind of what their calling was by fulfilling a need that they had and then realizing other people had Mm -hmm. the same need.
1: Yeah, thank you. I agree. Okay, let's dive into some fun details
0: on this topic, as I know you have some great tips to share with us. What are the biggest mistakes
1: you see folks in ad making on the digital side of their businesses? This is a great question, and these I'll share five mistakes, and they're mistakes that we definitely made on our, on our website too. So the first mistake I see is a cluttered website. So I think sometimes we offer all of the information and all of the buttons and links and options right away. And that actually overwhelms our customers. So overwhelmed and confused customers, they leave your website and they don't purchase from you. And We found through tracking data and traffic on our site that if we don't capture a customer's attention in three to five seconds, they leave the site and don't make a purchase. So the first thing is is just having too much, I would say too much, and just creating overwhelm for our customers. And the second mistake is talking about ourselves too much. Sometimes I see, farmers share like their entire farm history or our story in a paragraph right when you open up the website. And I say this in the most loving way, um, but (laughs) your customers don't care yet. Yeah. There's a place for it. There's a place for your farm story. It's just not that soon. It's like you went on a first date and the person was like, way oversharing and you're like, "Oh, now I have a really good idea why you're dating, you're still single." <laughs> it's like you you don't need to share so much right away.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. That is very true. <laughs> yeah.
1: I like to talk to the customer first and talk about the customer first because people love to hear about themselves and talk about themselves and it's not wrong. It's just it's true. So if we talk about our customer first, we can hook them in and that prevents them from leaving and if they don't leave our site then there's a greater chance that they will buy and then the third mistake i see is it's kind of a result of the first two mistakes but just not being clear with what you do i think sometimes we're so close to our business we've been in it since we were two we grew up on it or it's our daily life like we know our business so well we forget that our customers don't know our business like we do. So I'll give you a non-website example. When the meat shop retail store opened, there like the retail store had been part of the plans since day one. It was always always part of it. And I remember a customer coming in and saying, You should write retail store public welcome on your sign. I drive by this every day and had no idea that that I could come in and buy meat. And we were like, oh. It was really eye opening. We had we realized we have to be like, we have to way oversimplify things. I'll say, and we did this on our website by right? we literally wrote on our website we sell locally raised meat in the most basic way possible. It's in big bold letters at the top of our site. It's the first thing customers see. You just have to oversimplify so that people understand what you do, because they're not they're not part of it every day. They really don't know. The fourth mistake I see is farms not using a lead generator. And just in case someone doesn't know what that is, a lead generator is like a, it's a free digital product usually, or like a coupon, something like that. You offer your customers in exchange for them giving you their email address and you want your customers' email addresses so you can stay in contact with them and give them special deals and promotions. A lot of times our sales come from our email list, like our our biggest sales come from that. Um, So many farms, they do offer something like that. It'll be an opt-in like subscribe now for latest farm updates or join our email list, something like that. But I just encourage farmers to take it one step farther and say, offer the free digital product so that It kind of gives your customers a taste of what doing business with you is like. So they get to see how much value you share with them and how much you pour into them and how great your products are without them having to spend money at first. And it's like their first introduction with you. And if you want to take it two steps further, I would encourage farmers to make their lead generator into a pop-up, something that says, like, download our three favorite Easter recipes here, something like that. I know pop-ups are annoying. We all can't stand it when they pop up on a website that we're visiting, but they convert really well. They have worked really well for us in growing our email list. And we don't have very many people unsubscribe from our email list. So I think it just shows that while they are kind of annoying, they do work. And then the fifth a mistake I see is not being really clear in telling our customers how to buy from us. So this is simple, but the best marketing advice I can give someone is to make their products really easy to buy because the easier your products are to buy, the more people will buy them. And when we don't tell our customers how to buy our products, they don't know. And so they don't buy. I think sometimes we give customers more credit and thinking that like they'll stick around and figure it out. But the truth is they're busy just like we are and they're not going to stick around. If something's not clear to them, they're just going to go find someone else who does make it easier or more clear for them.
0: Oh, that's such great insight. All of those tips are fantastic. And for some of those I was over here cringing because I'm like, oh, I have made these mistakes and I'm like, I need to go in and edit my website. Oh. <laughs> so they were really, that's really good tips because you're so right you know, we're so close to our genius as people say, you know, close to what we do. And oftentimes we forget and we have to step back and realize we need to simplify for our customer. Who's just getting a taste of it or just a touch of it. And they're not in it 24 seven. So those were fantastic <laughs> tips. Love those. Thank you for sharing those and going into detail on that. Cause I think that's going to help a lot of folks that maybe just didn't realize it like myself. I'm like, Oh, you know, that's a, a great idea. I know I've heard Certain things that do certain things a certain way, and then you kind of forget about it or you go away from that. And those were fantastic tips that I think a lot of us easily make that mistake just because you don't know any difference. So that was fantastic.
1: I hope people do find it helpful, and they don't they don't feel like I'm shaming them or embarrassing them or something, Um, because there's things that we did we learned
0: the hard way. You delivered that so well. I think we all learned the hard way. And I love that you're sharing that because again, that's part of your journey of how you got to where you are is, you know, through the mistakes and the trials and finding what works and what doesn't. Exactly. And that's, I think that's the best thing of when folks start their businesses and they're serving others from that place. And I love that and admire that. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk more on websites and the importance of them will you share your basic framework that helps eliminate
1: some common mistakes and intrigues customers to learn more? Yeah. So I'm so proud of this blueprint for creating websites that generate sales. And so I was originally going to share the whole framework, but I think we'd be here forever, and I don't think I could do it justice. So if it's okay with you, Logan, I thought we could highlight the five most important parts. And then I have a website template workbook. Maybe we could share it with your listeners for free through the show notes. And that will give them the, the other five sections. There's 10 total that aren't, yeah, they're not as important, but they'll still get all the information. I think that would be the best way. I yeah. love that idea. Thank you for offering yeah. that. I think that's that's fantastic. I love that approach. Let's do it. Okay. okay, I think that'll be the most helpful way for everyone to get all the information and be able to implement what they want to. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the first section we'll talk about is the homepage. And when I say homepage, I'm referring to everything above the fold. And just in case someone doesn't know what the fold is, if you think of a newspaper that's folded in half, The fold is everything you can see when it's folded in half. And the fold on your website is everything you can see before you start scrolling up. So there are five elements to the homepage and we'll go through them right now. So remember we removed all the clutter like we talked about in the last part. There's no paragraphs here. There's no no clutter, nothing like that. And these are the five elements that we replace it with. So the first is pretty obvious. It's our logo. And that just says who we are. And we put it at the top of our website. The second, we replace the paragraph with a really clear statement of what you do. So this is like I've said before, people do care about your farm history and about me. But the home page or this this first section of your website isn't the place for it. Instead, We should write down really, really clearly what your farm does. So I would say as simple as we sell grass-fed meat, we sell grain-fed meat, we sell meat with premium flavor and quality, whatever it is, just say it in the most simple, basic terms you can think of. And it really helps here to know who your ideal client is or who you're selling to. I think sometimes also we're afraid to be too specific when defining our ideal customer. But I'll I'll give an example. So like Kraft Mac and Cheese, they want a cheap, easy, delicious thing for busy moms to feed their kids. But who else likes cheap, easy, good food? Bachelor's and college students. (laughs) So just because you're really specific in, in defining who you want to sell to, it doesn't mean you're alienating everybody else, you'll still attract other people. And in the homepage, it's really helpful, especially when you're telling people what you do to know who you're selling to and what they want. The third element to the homepage is right underneath where we write, this is what we do, we write really clearly how it helps them. So you could say, we sell grass-fed meat, that's what you do. And it helps so you can live your healthiest life or so you can enjoy eating tasty meat or even we sell local meat so you can trust your meat source something like that and knowing knowing what your customer wants what their pain point is so you can really specify how it helps them is really beneficial and this is how we hook the customer and we keep them on our site because when we're talking to them and about them they they stick around and the longer they stick around the more likely they are to make a purchase so the fourth element to our home page is to tell our customers how to buy and we call this a call to action button and i like to use really strong text like buy now shop now order now join now something like that because sometimes i see people use like browse more or learn more and i just i don't think that's as yeah. strong And I just want it to come across as being really confident and really clear so that the customer who wants to buy knows what they have to do. And we put the call to action button in the top right hand corner of the homepage so that no matter where people scroll, there's always a button showing. And when they make the decision, I'm ready to buy now, they know where to buy. But we also put it below the text on the homepage, below the statement of what you do and how it helps the customer. We put a buy now button there also. And this is where selling it, you are selling to serve. So we're making it really easy for people who want or need your product to make the purchase because they know where they have to go to do that. And then the fifth element of um our homepage is to place the previous four elements on top of a really nice picture. And the picture, I like it when it covers the entire section above the fold. The picture could be like an attractive display of your product or even a picture of people using your product and really enjoying it to give the customer a visual of, oh, this is what my life could look like too if I was using this product. An example might be. If a family raises beef cows or something, they could take a picture of their family in the pasture with their cows. And I think that is a display of your product that gives customers the image that this is a family farm who cares a lot for their cows and or something like that. So the next four sections are a little quicker. Next section is called the problem section. And we have to remember that every business exists to solve people's problems. So people are hungry and that's a problem, or they're concerned about animal welfare and that's a problem. Maybe they're concerned for their health, so health, so that's their problem. And we have to state really clearly what the problem our business solves is so that we can really connect with our ideal customers and make them feel like they're heard and like we understand them and know what they need. The problem section, I like to put the statement of this is the problem we solve for you. And then underneath that, we do three examples of the customer's pain points. So Logan, on your podcast, the pain points could be maybe first generation ranchers, they're looking for community, or maybe they're looking for a place to find more knowledge or resources or something like that. You know your listeners better than I do. But if you point out those three pain points, that really makes your customer feel like you know them and understand them. And that is a great way to build connection with them. I love that. And if someone isn't sure what their pain points could be, so go back and look at your thank you messages or comments that your listeners or customers have sent you. What they're thanking you for is the pain point that you solved for them. And those are the pain points that you can put on your website. Oh, that's so good. Good. Okay. And then put a call to action underneath that because after the customer feels like they might feel so connected with you that you understand their problems, they're like, now I'm ready to buy. So put another call to action button there. The third section is called the solution section. So this is kind of like we're flipping it back. We just talked about the problem. Now we're going to make it positive and remind the customer that we have the solution. So we use the same format as above with some text that states the solution, whatever the solution is that your farm offers. And then again, we give three examples of what that solution looks like for your customer. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about value adds or adding value to your customers. So this is where you could emphasize that. So maybe trying to think of an example on the spot, maybe you offer home delivery for your milk or something like that, that might be part of the solution. And that's something that you would you would put in a solution section. And again, you want your call to action button under there so that if customers make the decision, now I'm going to buy, they have the opportunity. Fourth section is called the plan. And this is one of my favorite sections. So I keep saying, make your products easy to buy and people will buy more. And I think sometimes a reason people haven't bought yet is because they're not sure what the process looks like. So I'll give an example of my sister-in-law. So my sister-in-law, Abby, was driving like two towns over to buy gas. I asked her when I said, Abby, why are you driving all the way over there to buy gas? And she said, well, the gas station up the street got new gas pumps and I haven't used them before. So I don't know. I don't know how to do it. And I just, you know, I don't want to go there. I don't want to embarrass myself or something like that. And it's the same for your customers too. If they've never bought from you or they don't know what the process looks like, they might not do it because they don't want to be left hanging or they don't want to mess up. And we can give customers a plan to remove this mental block or hesitation or this obstacle for them by walking them through the steps to making a purchase. With the plan, I like to do three steps. I think any more than that it just kind of gets overwhelming and the first step always directs the customer to the call to action button the buy now or whatever starts the purchase process and then the second step is where we clarify the intermediary steps so the customer can see the call to action button but they can't see what happens after that and that's where the hesitation begins so in step two this is where we We clarify, this is what happens next. We just give them like a little insight so that maybe they're not afraid or they know what to expect. And you can, if you need to use step three to further clarify, you can do that. Or we use step three to remind customers of the resolution or what their life looks like post-purchase. So they kind of get that sigh of relief like, oh, Okay, I do want my life to look like that, and this doesn't seem so hard after all. And then finally, the fifth section that we'll talk about is called the footer. And this is where we put all of the important stuff that we used to think belonged at the top of our website, we put it in the footer. So this is like your ah. about me and career opportunities. FAQs, farm history, our story, any contact us, anything like that, we put that in the footer. So you put just a link to it. Because the truth is, people naturally scroll to the bottom of the website to find that information. True. So there's no need to clutter up the top of your website with that sort of thing, when you can put it somewhere where they can still find it really easily. And It makes everything cleaner and it's just a better experience for the customer, I think. So the website template workbook, it includes all five of these sections and it even has pictures in it so uh, your listeners can see, see what this actually looks like on a website. And it also includes the other five sections, which are paragraph section, the video section, a lead magnet section, product section, and then the about me section. And I think that'll be really, really helpful for them. I'm blown away by all
0: this info, Michelle. This is fantastic. Just the whole layout that you walked us through there. I'm just getting so many ideas coming through and so many aha moments. And I greatly appreciate you sharing that with us because oh it's, it's been fantastic information. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. You know, it's just things you just don't think about. So I think yeah. that's very valuable. And I think that a lot of people listening in are gonna find that valuable as well. And thank you, Michelle, for giving us access to your website template workbook. I'm so excited to to be able to view that for myself. And I know everybody listening in is going to be excited to see that too. And I'll be sure to send that out to my email list and put it in the show notes. And that way folks have access to this and can learn even more about it. And I thank you for walking us through that was fantastic. I learned a ton of just a lot of takeaways from there and a lot of aha moments.
1: Good. I hope it's really helpful for everyone. Okay. You know, this one is my favorite to ask as it's always
0: encouraging to hear the answer. What would be your best piece of advice to someone wanting to be a part of the agriculture industry in any capacity in today's world?
1: I would say, please do it. People are always going to need food. So, you know that there are people that will need your product. And I think the Ranching Brunette community is a great place to plug in for support and encouragement. I think what you've created here, Logan, this community is really a rare gem. It can be really intimidating trying to get started in in the ag industry. So having a safe place like this is really awesome. And I would also say, I would encourage people not to borrow loads of money to do it. So I think it's, it's gonna be a temptation right now with all of the government stimulus packages and all of the opportunities out there to buy money with the government trying to stimulate the economy. When you borrow money, you have to pay it back. So with debt, you're always paying for something that happened in the past. Yeah. And I think it makes it hard to grow into the future. So I would say just go slow if you have to and invest your resources in the future. And the thing is, everybody has resources. So whether it's your mind or your experiences or contacts or connections, everybody has has some resource, they have something. So use that and grow your business from whatever it is that you have. And I think since you're listening to Logan's podcast, I know that you're creative and you're scrappy enough to start your business without a mountain of debt. I think that your listeners can use what they have and they can really create something awesome.
0: I love that, Michelle. Thank you for that. That was very powerful. And you're absolutely right. You know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities coming up, like you said, because governments can be trying to stimulate the economy. And, you know, what did we see throughout this COVID-19 stuff is a shortage in our food supply. You know, everybody panicked and bought it out. And, you know, we we're having a hard time getting a lot of things shipped over. I think it was a wake up call. I think there's a lot of positivity that's come out of this for agriculture. Um, what did we see? The first thing to go besides toilet paper was meat in stores. And that to me, I got excited about that because there's, you know, so much going on with plant based and vegetarian and vegan activists. And the first thing that sold out was mm-hmm. animal products, mm-hmm. you know, meat, milk, eggs, eggs, I was blown away by that. And I think our government's waking up realizing, hey, we need to be self-sufficient again in this country. And you're so right. There's going to be a lot of what they're going to call opportunities, which could be opportunities, but they're going to be in the form of debt like Mm -hmm. you talked about. And I love your perspective on that. You know, debt is anything that's already happened in the past and we need to be future forward thinking and investing in our future. And you put that so beautifully and powerfully. And
1: I really appreciate your perspective on that. We just became people's most reliable source for food, yeah. and they realized that we've been here all along, and we're still here, and we will still continue to serve them really well. Absolutely. So, Danny and I personally have built everything we have without debt, and not that you know, if you have to borrow for something here or there, that is what it is. But we personally just we haven't had to do that. And it's been really good for us, I think, in this situation because we're both self-employed. So not having those payments has been a huge relief. And I think it could be a huge blessing to other people who are growing their ag business when they don't have debt. And um, when a situation like this happens, they're okay. Yeah. You know, there there's no one knocking on their door. That's a very powerful statement because I'm all for cash flowing as
0: much as possible and doing things debt free. And yeah. I've talked in the past in my story, how we'll finance one piece of equipment at a time and it's used and it's old and it's rusty, but we don't get too in over our heads to where if one of us, and that's what's manageable. yeah, if one of us lost our day job or, you know, our small business tanked or something like this, you know, with a, a pandemic going around, And the economy is a little unstable, a little uncertain. We don't have to panic. And I think that's something that's very powerful. And I love that you guys have been able to do your ag journey and what you guys have pursued debt-free. And that's my hope for everybody is it takes that pressure off. And if, say, for any reason, a health reason, a family reason, or you just decide you don't want to do it anymore, you can walk away without having all of that debt following you. Exactly that gives you a lot of freedom to continue doing and pursuing your passions. Right. I agree. Oh, that's so powerful. I love, I loved your perspective on that. Well, thank you. All right, Michelle, where can we learn more about you, Schrader Farms and
1: Michelle Schrader Media? I'm really excited for everyone to check out your websites. So the meat market, Schrader Farms Meat Market, you can find them at schradermeats.com and Schrader's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R meats.com. And then... My website is Michelle Schrader.com. Schrader is spelled the same way. And I just launched my blog like a couple of weeks ago. So I'm gonna start posting there every week and there will be more content there to share. And then if anybody has questions or they want clarification on something, I really am an open book and I'm so happy to help in any way I can. So if you have a listener that that would like help, they can DM me on Instagram at Michelle L A schrader that's my handle and i would be so thrilled to be able to help them thank you so much michelle this has been so valuable i so appreciate all of your insight
0: wisdom and expertise on this you gave so many great tips and i'm so thankful for that i took a lot away from it and i know all the listeners within this community are really going to benefit from that too and i can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing this time with me on this show for your episode. And I'm really excited for everybody to listen into this one.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Logan, and for the opportunity, and also for how you're helping people. I said it a little bit ago, but you really have created an awesome community. And I hope you're really proud of that. I'm really proud of what you've done. Thank you, Michelle. That means the world to me. It's, and I'm absolutely
0: proud of it. And I love the folks I've gotten to meet in here. And it's such a humbling experience because every person I have come on the show and I just see them pouring into this community and helping others on this journey. And like you said earlier, you know, to have your niche market or your customer base that you're talking to, for me starting out was first generation ranchers, but I can't tell you how many other second, third, fourth, fifth generation ranchers are part of this community and this journey too. And I love hearing folks' stories because it gives us first generation ranchers something to look forward to, right? We're creating that first step of that legacy and and hopes that it turns into a multi-generational operation or legacy, much like, you know, your family and what you've got going on and just having this whole community of all different walks of life in agriculture. And it's something I'm very proud of and something I'm very humbled by. And it's just been a fantastic journey with each episode. I just, I just grow more and more passion for it. So thank you. So yeah. much for that.
1: Yeah, it's exciting for sure. Oh, thank you,
0: Michelle.